Hey guys, welcome back to the Jen Hatmaker Book Club Podcast. So if you're listening to this on our regular For the Love podcast feed, welcome. What you're getting today is a sneak peek into all that we do behind the scenes at the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, which is the most amount of fun and includes every month a dedicated interview with that book's author which is the greatest because we get to bring our specific and personal questions and feedback and response to our author of the month and they answer it. And so this is something that every one of us looks forward to every single month. By the way, we'd love to have you in book club. Just go to jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We have so many cool things coming up. This an absolute roll call of awesome books in the next six months. So if you've ever wanted to, now's your time. Come join us. So everybody, per usual, y'all devoured this month's book and had a lot to say about it in the chat this month. Of course, murder mysteries are like this, right? They just give us so, so much tea, right? To try to figure out how to spill. So, I mean, in our group, we had theories, we had guesses, we had hopes for the plot. We had big feelings about some of the characters. I mean, I think it's safe to say we're not doing spoilers just yet over in the group, but I'm guessing that you were probably as surprised by the ending as I was. Um, I did not see it coming. I had it, I had it marked out on three different paths and none were the one that it was. And so don't you just love a mystery and specifically a mystery writer that can rattle the cages right until the very end. That is our Lucy. And so I am so y'all, she's just as cute as like a button on a cardigan. You guys, I'm so tickled to bring you my conversation today with Lucy Foley. And she is the author of this one's book, which is called The Guest List. The Guest List. It's like a classic murder mystery, like something in the in the genre of like Agatha Christie, which I grew up on. And so I think I was drawn to this rhythm and this kind of cadence of a book because it just has so many good memories for me. So Lucy studied English literature at Durham and UCL universities. She is across the pond, which you will pick up on fairly quickly after one sentence comes out of her mouth. And then she worked for several years as a fiction editor in the publishing industry, during which time she wrote the book of Lost and Found, which had a best-selling debut in 2015. And she's also written The Hunting Party and The Invitation. And as she tells us at the end of this interview, She kind of plots out the book that she just finished, which sounds absolutely dreamy. It's a murder mystery set in Paris in an apartment complex that overlooks a shared courtyard. And all the intrigue is around the residents. Who don't want to read that comes out in February. So we had such fun with her book this month and it was just such a perfect genre for October. We want something to go a little dark, right? So you guys absolutely please enjoy my interview with the darling and wonderful and smart Lucy Foley. All right, Lucy. Hi. Hi. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, so happy to meet you. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for picking the book um, for your book club. It's such an honor. It was so good, Lucy. Like, I love you as a writer. I'm saving all this for the podcast because I have a bunch of stuff to tell you, but we're only, you know, halfway through the, your book is our October book. And so 
you know, we, I generally record with our author a little sooner in the day so we can release it by the end of the month. But sure. so many of our members have just already read it. They just blew through it. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's not put downable. Okay, let's just get into this, Lucy, because I am so excited to talk to you about the guest list. I mean, do I have my book? Up? Oh, no, it's inside. <laughs> it was so snappy and lively and I had a good mystery and just you had all the elements so we're about to jump into it but would you just mind talking to the book club girls real quick about you like where are you and you know who are your people and if you could even give us a little bit of your kind of arc like this is how I became a writer this is I knew I was going to be a writer when I was three or I found out I was going to be a writer when I was 24. Just whatever your story is, I'd love to hear it a little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I'm Lucy. I'm in my mid thirties. I live in Brussels actually at the moment for the next year or so with my husband and our baby who is uh, just turned one. Uh, Baby, baby, baby boy, baby girl. Baby boy, baby boy. What is his little name? He's called Rafe, Rafe, which means wise wolf in old English, which I love. No, so that's us, our little family. Before becoming a writer, I actually worked in the publishing industry for several several years, nearly a decade, actually. Before I worked as a fiction editor, I actually worked in a bookshop. So I basically worked in like most elements of kind of book process, I think. And I think that was really where I decided I wanted to be a writer while working with kind of manuscripts. Because you studied literature, right? Did, yeah. did you always... Yeah. So you had an entry point, obviously, into literature, but you weren't positive that it was going to be writing? Well, I just didn't know if it was something I could do. I knew that I loved reading. So I would say that I came to writing from reading and my love of books. I just wanted to work with books however I could. It's really how it came about. How old were you when you wrote your first book? So I was 27 when it published. So I think I started it when I was about 24. Pretty incredible. Like, you got to jump on it. I mean, you know... It's a hard industry. And so a lot of authors don't debut until their 30s or 40s or sometimes even later. So the fact that you got to grab onto that rung of the ladder in your early 20s is so wonderful. Like you get to be a career writer like your whole life. What a wonderful thing. Like you must be thrilled about it. Well, that's, the, I mean, I, I, I literally don't think I can do anything else now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I do love it so much. So it's sort of, I do feel so lucky that it's what I get to do. And and really, yeah, my hope is that I just continue doing it until I drop dead. Yeah, Yeah, it's my hope too, because you are really good at this, sister. You are a writer's writer. And I'm long on the record for being super envious of fiction writers and particularly mystery writers. It must be so fun and wild in your little brain as you sort of develop these plots and think through your characters and you particularly the way that you structure, well, at least the guest list. Let's start here. I know that your heritage, your personal trip to Connemara largely influenced the book. So I wonder if you can start there. Can you talk about that trip? What your experience of it was? Was there something specific that inspired you while you were there? 
Well, yeah. So the trip wasn't actually meant to be a research trip. My husband will tell you this often happens with me. So mm. it was meant to be a trip for our wedding anniversary. Um, and it works. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> we went to yeah Dublin for a few days and then we, we traveled to Connemara where half my family kind of hail from and my dad's side of the family. And it's just the most incredible landscape actually funnily enough having written the hunting parties up in the highlands it reminds me quite a lot that landscape of the highlands you know you've got the kind of bracken and the heather and you've got these kind of mountainous peaks and you've got this kind of wild sea and and that was all hugely inspiring but it was then when we got the boat out to well the, the island that it's really based on is Inish Boffin we got the boat out to Inish Boffin off the coast and that was where I just started to think this is the perfect setting for this book I want to write because it was it was kind of nature red in tooth and claw it was so wild but also had this kind of raw beauty you could imagine someone quite brave wanting to hold a wedding there. Mm. So when you were on that trip were you already fairly deep into the process of noodling the the storyline like did you have characters at that point like when did the because the island ends up being like its own character. You know, it's it's a deeply important part of the book. And so were you waiting for your story to find a home when you went there? Yeah, funny enough, I actually, what, like normally I would say I start with the location as the very first thing. But I did have, I had the bones of the story. So I knew that I wanted this wedding. I knew I wanted it somewhere remote. I had Jules, the bride, as a character. Like her voice was so strong in my head because she's got, she's quite a strong-willed, person so I had all of that and I kind of wanted to put Jules and her wedding somewhere that would really (laughs) challenge them and it was like oh my god this is this is it this is perfect I love to hear novelists talk about their process I'm endlessly fascinated and so kind of going off something you just said did Jules because novelists experience the creative process all very differently. Did Jules kind of come to you fully baked? Did she show up in your head and you kind of knew her and understand her from the get-go? Yeah, and she pretty much did, which is quite strange because I'm kind of, I'm very much not a Jules. I had a tiny wedding because I'm so disorganized that I just knew I could <laughs> organize something big. And I didn't want like, you know, glossy and kind of perfect. And, but I'm kind of endlessly fascinated by people like that. And it was, it was almost like, yeah, while I was writing her sections, I had this other voice in my head, this kind of other personality that very much not a part of me naturally. I loved her. I loved her. I loved the way that you wrote her. I loved her voice. I loved kind of her internal fortitude. I can tell you here, like in our book club, we've read a lot of genres and a lot of different book structures, even inside similar genres. We always enjoy as a community, a multi-perspective story. It just adds so much depth to it. It just creates intrigue and it, you throw us off the scent too, because everyone has their own version of a thing. And so I really love that you made that choice inside your story. So did you always see this story as a kind of a multi-perspective plot line? Or had you picked one character to tell us the story and then decided against it? So it's really interesting trying to think back on the kind of decision-making process, because often it's not 
it sounds strange, but it's often not a kind of clear decision. Well, for me, it's just I start writing and it's what feels natural. And to me, that felt like the only way to write this book was to have it from kind of multiple perspectives because I love that kind of confessional aspect to it. So it's almost like we're kind of hearing their sort of witness statements or their kind of they're up in the dock being being kind of interrogated so yeah I could just I knew I could have a lot of fun with it and and also that thing that you say that like people's memories are different their memories of an event their kind of interpretations their own role in it because everyone's the hero in their own story so I think when you have these kind of characters that you sort of maybe don't warm to as much or maybe even love to hate you know it's great to hear kind of their side of the story and hear why their actions make sense to them Absolutely. And then, of course, as the novelist, as the creator, it gives you the opportunity to give us some red herrings. And, you know, we're all in our head. We, we, we had predicted everything. We'd had every sort of prediction as to where the ending was headed, which virtually none of us got. So well done on the surprise. You played that storyline so steady that it just didn't raise up. You know, it didn't raise any any red flags. I mean, I had everybody else as the murder, virtually every other person. (laughs) So earlier this year, you guys may remember when I became a world champion at this game that nobody wins called No Sleep. I started looking at ways to support sleep because I was having a hard time functioning because sleep actually affects everything. Like your overall health, it affects your brain function, your mood. So when I stumbled across a product, it's called Dream Powder. You better believe that branding worked on me. It's a bestseller from Beam, which is this functional wellness brand that makes CBD products to help you live and importantly, sleep better. And so not only did their marketing work on me, the Dream Powder actually worked its magic in the night worry game. So here's what it is. It's like this really yummy hot cocoa beverage. You mix with hot water or warm milk before you go to bed. And it contains like the ultimate sleep promoting ingredients like nano CBD and reishi, magnesium, um, ithionine and melatonin, all the things that we know that work, Uh, but no added sugar, no artificial sweeteners. It's yummy and it's effective. And so here's what I also want to tell you. Beam just released a white chocolate peppermint flavor that's everything your holiday dreams are made of. But the white chocolate peppermint dream powder only lasts for a limited time. So get it while it is hot, literally. And if you subscribe now, you can also take advantage of Beam's best sale of the year. It's for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So you'll get 40% off the first three months of a peppermint dream subscription, plus a free mug, and frother or 20% off a one-time purchase. So again, this is Beam's biggest offer of the year. And just like this new flavor, it won't last long for sure. So head to beamorganics.com slash for the love. So that's B-E-A-M organics.com slash for the love for 40% off the first three months of a peppermint dream subscription plus free mog and frother or 20% off a one-time purchase. You could pause or cancel at any time. I want to kind of go back into the story because you really did include really every important element to a murder mystery. Such a fun genre. I like grew up on Agatha Christie. So the, the whodunits, a little cheeky, 
Like it's just, there's such a pleasure to read and yours are just right in line. Like with the greats. I mean, it's, we've got a haunted remote Island and we have characters hiding secrets. We've got the current story and we're going back to the past to sort of walk us up to where we're at. We have a mysterious note, right? And so I'm curious because that's a lot of moving parts, both past and present, which is also a tricky needle to thread as a storyteller. Did you ever find it difficult to strike a balance between giving the readers like just enough or too much information? So was there ever a point when you were writing where you you led out with some content and then pulled it back and thought, not yet. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. All the time. It's such a kind of process and it's sort of something I think I kind of refined across like several drafts. I would couldn't even count how many drafts of this novel I write, you know, how many different kind of versions I tried with like, oh, do I reveal this here or a bit later? And I think it's all like, you know, I kind of imagine a scales and you're sort of as the as the writer constantly kind of putting things on either side, hoping that it doesn't tip the balance because you need to give, you know, the reader enough to go on. You need to put, make sure those clues are there because you don't want it to be a big like rabbit out of the hat moment at the end. But at the same time, you don't want them to guess too early and you don't want them to guess everything. So it's a really fine balance. And, and it also involves using kind of secondary readers. So it's obviously my editor and then kind of my husband, he's a great trusted reader and, and actually another friend who I often get to read books because in a way, as the writer, you have lost your innocence. So you Absolutely. need kind of innocence, you know, to, to kind of come in and, and read it and tell you what again. I always love to hear a writer talk about their drafts and how many times it took to get to the one that we read, which is to me, the absolute picture of diligence. Like I'm a nonfiction writer. And so when I cut four paragraphs out, it hurts my feelings. I need to take a nap. I am sad. So when I think about fiction writers, novelists who literally change the story. I mean, you're done. The period's on the last sentence and you go back and do a rewrite. Uh, I just, <laughs> the amount of commitment to get it right instead of just get it done is really impressive. And so to that end, I think we, we always love to hear in the various versions and drafts that you went through to get us to the one that we have in our hands. What was one of them where either a, a plot point or maybe the ending. And by the way, at this point, when we air this, we've all read it. So this isn't a spoiler problem. We've, well, we tell everybody, if you haven't read it by the end of the month, that's too bad. Don't listen to our podcast. So you have liberty to talk about the ending of the book, but was there a version of it that would have been fairly drastically different than the one you landed on? Oh my goodness. Yes. I had a different murderer in two different drafts. So can I talk about, can I name the characters? Absolutely. So I had one draft in which Jono was the murderer. I had another draft in which Olivia was the murderer. But I think it's fun to go there as the writer and, and, and check where that works. And, and both times it didn't, it didn't feel like enough. I wanted kind of more of a surprise, more of a twist. I had one draft where all of the action took place. This sounds mad now. I think that was my very first draft. All of the action took place before the wedding actually happened. 
So mm. it was kind of in the run up to the wedding. And, and then I was like, why would I not bring in the kind of fun and the drama of the wedding? I yeah. think at that point it was because I was trying too hard to stay in control of my characters. And I kind of didn't want all these other characters kind of running around, you know, all the, all the wedding guests. And then I realized that actually I could have great fun kind of using them as like background, using them almost as like a Greek chorus in the book. But it actually took, it sounds crazy now, but it took quite a lot of bravery to sort of allow them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, all I have is the final version, but I can tell you as a reader, I just think you nailed it. I think you nailed the balance of then and now I think you nailed the balance of perspective and intrigue like of course this is what we have I can't imagine it any other different I can't imagine it another way although I did peg both of those people as murderers at some point along the way and so Lucy I want to talk about the boys in the story for a minute Woo, Will man that guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I struggled in my brain. I'm like, you need to sit down, young man, and I'm going to tell you how to live your life better. Like, I mean, you gave us someone to hate. You sure did. He and his friends from school seem to have such a, they have such a dark history. And even to, to be honest with you, I actually spent a fair amount of the book trying to figure out, will aside, if I like the rest of them. Like, what am I thinking about you? Like, you little band of rowdy brothers, you know? And so I'm curious if you were handing us this complicated mix of men in the story because you kind of drug us all over the place in terms of how we felt about them sometimes I was sympathetic and empathetic sometimes I had compassion and sometimes I was like you need to go to jail and so how do you think kind of the guys and the, then ultimately their sort of male oriented friendship sort of affected the book that because it was a big deal that that tone that you struck inside their little crew was deeply important, I think, to the arc of the book. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was for me, certainly writing it. I I think it was Will and Jono, this kind of their friendship, their sort of kind of going back in into the past with this kind of school friendship was kind of a really important starting point for me with those characters. And in my research, and it's often, this is often the way it happens, I think, you kind of start pulling a thread with the research and that kind of takes you into this whole other world you hadn't expected. So I started kind of researching kind of boarding school culture and thinking about that in the UK. And the fact that, you know, these very kind of privileged kids are sent off to, you know, if they're kind of full boarding, they see their parents maybe twice a term. And we've got a kind of real issue I would say in our politics in the UK at the moment in terms of this kind of boys club they went to the Bullingdon club which was at Oxford University before that they were at Eton so they've kind of come up in this very kind of rarefied world where there hasn't been a lot of challenge but also possibly there hasn't been a kind of lot of emotional support from sort of parents and and all of that so it kind of got me thinking you know what would that sort of education do to you as a person and and how will those kind of experiences form you and so on the one hand you know I I watched this documentary that literally made me cry you know you're watching these kind of very privileged kids but it was about sort of the the prep school boarding school system so this is like before the age of 13 and these kids are sent off when they're you know like eight years old and kind of left to fend for themselves and it was like dire you know it was really sad and you saw the kind of bullying and things so it was sort of I wanted the reader to feel 
some compassion for them and, and sort of some understanding, but at the same time, be quite angry with them. <laughs> you got um, it. Yeah, horrified. You did it. Good. <laughs> I did feel that way. And it did, Rick, you gave us pause to think about what it would have been like to sort of come up through such formative years, kind of rogue, you know, I mean, teachers are not parents. And so that's sort of interesting guy off the rails. And then what's the inevitable outcome of that is what you kind of handed us. But I like that you didn't make it one note. It it, it isn't just a, a monolith experience because we see like, for example, when it comes to, to Darcy, like we see Will responding to it, like in one direction and Jono another for all this way, like their paths diverged immediately on that shared bit of the story. And so what were you trying to tell us about both those characters Were you just, you built in some complexity there that made me feel conflicted. Mm, and, and that's exactly what way. I want. That's exactly what I want you to feel as a reader. I kind of don't want to give you the answers. I want to like let you make up your own mind. But it was, you know, it was very much, I guess, inspired by books like Lord of the Flies. You know, sure, that kind of boys together. What does that bring out? But at the same time, I wanted it to be perhaps slightly uncomfortably familiar for some readers so you know if if you've ever been to a wedding and like all the guy like there's a big group of guys that kind of know each other from way back and they all get a bit drunk together and it's all like you know boisterous kind of good humor they're they're you know being a bit larger than life they're having fun and actually that's that can be lovely and very positive and kind of you know it's just boys being boys and all that so that's a very problematic phrase but but you know they're they're having fun but it's sort of showing you the kind of flip side of that coin like what if that went dark that's right speaking of problematic obviously you've you know you've given us a real character in will and we meet him at the very beginning and then very quickly it's just he's not who we he's not who he appears to be there's way more under there than he lets on and so interestingly you know obviously will is connected to virtually every terrible experience felt by almost every single character. I mean, all roads kind of end up leading to Will in a bad way. And yet he has this perception of perfection, which you really played around with that. And I like it because the undercurrent here for me as a reader, what I'm picking up on, of course, the whole time is this sort of note that you are handing us on privilege, on notoriety, on money on patriarchy. And so you had something to say there and you said it and you said it with a deft hand, like you did it, you did it subtly, but what was your internal process when you were like, I want to weave some of these complicated disparate systems into this plot? Yeah. Oh, good. Good question. I suppose, you know, it was really thinking about Will as one of those characters or one of those people that kind of nothing seems to stick to, you know, nothing. So they go through life just behaving kind of how they want, but they get away with it because they're moneyed and charming and good looking and probably male and white, white. all of that. And, you know, we not to talk too much about politics and get heavy, but we've got a few in our kind of political system at the moment in the UK. Well, we don't know what you mean over here in America. 
We know everything's going great over here. So I have no idea about your complicated, like political environment right now. Just, it's just like pitch perfect over here. So, right. Same. Like we relate. Yes, exactly. And, and then the wonderful thing is, is the writer. So, so often those people in real life perhaps don't get held to account. You know, they might go through their whole life behaving in that way and, and nothing catching up with them. But the wonderful thing I think about the kind of murder mystery structure is there is kind of fate with a capital F and history with a capital H and it catches up with characters and they are made to kind of pay for their past sins. And so you see that with Agatha Christie, you see that particularly with a book like And Then There Were None, which is kind of my favourite Agatha Christie. You have all these characters sort of being made to atone for past sins that they have actually got away with in the past. We won't go into too many spoilers there, but that was something I wanted to kind of play with in this book format. But you can sort of, you have the agency to be able to kind of make this character pay and sort of tie everything up with a with a nice bow at the end and, and give them that satisfaction in a world that can feel kind of very messy and unfair. That's right. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Gin Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved and I just know you will too. After you sign up every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. I think another thing that you did that I appreciate, which to me, this is the mark of a writer of depth instead of kind of one who just skims across the surface, which is hilarious because sometimes those skim across the surface books like run up the flagpole to the bestsellers list, right? But I appreciate one with a little bit more grit, a little bit more complexity to it because I, I was thinking about the, the scope of your characters and really almost every one of them to various degrees, except maybe Olivia and Hannah will give, we'll put them on their own little edge, but have a bit like an air of arrogance about them. 
in some way, in some way. And so you didn't just hand us like, here are the good guys and here are the bad guys, right? Or here are the pure of heart and here are the others. They're kind of all, at one point, everybody is just, they all need to just do a little better. So I like that. Did you choose to give us characters that even the ones that we were largely pulling for the whole time, you still dropped in a handful of things when we were like, damn it, you know better. Like, you know better than that. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I love to write kind of complex characters. I love to write characters that you love to hate or conversely kind of hate to love. But at the same time, there's no such thing in real life as a kind of a bad guy or a good guy. You know, That's right. Kind of you are correct. Made, yeah, people are made by their experiences or perhaps made by their actions. And, and maybe they've got their, their own kind of reasons behind them and we can try and understand. And, and so really, I kind of want to bring all that complexity into the book. I would never want to write a kind of cardboard cutout bad guy, you know, because I say everyone is kind of a hero of their own tales. So give them a chance to kind of tell them, tell, tell, yeah, yeah. Nobody laid flat on the page (laughs) and that made it really fun to read. Before we kind of wrap it up here, I'm just curious. I'd love to hear what your reader response has been to the book and what it has been like as your community, because it's such a labor of love. Like, when did you start writing this book? More or less, how long did it take you start to finish? So like that thing is done, it is edited, it is turned in, it is off to the presses. I think probably start to finish from like first kind of inception, probably two years or maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big deal to work on something for two years. That's long. That's long for one project. That's not normal. The rest of the world doesn't have to live like us. You know, they don't do a two-year project and have to wait for the results. Because <laughs> even then, it's a year after that when the thing comes yeah, out. And so yeah. now that you are sitting on this side of the equation, it's in our hands. And the, what's the feedback been like? Because I, I have a suspicion it's been very highly favorable and positive. Oh, yeah, it's been wonderful. And, and I think that's the really exciting thing as a writer is because you because you live with these characters inside your head, you know, they're like constructs of your imagination, but then you kind of let them out into the world and you see people kind of engage with them and sort of interact with them and kind of believe in them as kind of as, 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 as real people in the same way that you, you do as the writer. And that's just so exciting. That is like, that is never going to get old. That's like a pinch me moment every time, you know. Every you single them. time. And I would say we're, to- we're sitting here talking about them as real people. And, and that's just, that's so exciting. That's, that's mad. Uh, it's true. I often think for a novelist, it must feel something akin to when a musician, a songwriter is in an arena and everybody in the place is singing the words he or she wrote. Like they are thinking, I remember where I was sitting when I wrote that sentence. And then just, it's so magical. I, as a writer, for me, even in my genre, right about the time I turn a book in. So it's been through the 50,000 rounds of editing. I mean, we have just smashed it to death, you know, right there. Every time I'm like, that's it. I'm not writing another, that's, I don't have, I'm not going to write another book. I don't know anything else. Like that's it. That's my swan song. And then a year later it comes out and it's in the hands of the community and it just begins to bear all the fruit that I wanted it to. And I'm like, ah, what's my next one? <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably quite like childbirth, not to get weird, but you know, <laughs> sort of. we do forget so that we can continue to procreate and populate the earth. 
You are correct. Okay. As we wrap it up here, Lucy, I just want to ask two questions. So first of all, and you mentioned this right at the top of the, of the interview, but all the best writers are readers and you are one that was sort of your hook. And it was mine as well. I was the girl in the playground with the book. And so we'd love to hear from you, what you're reading right now, or what's been awesome lately. What's a book that you picked up and thought, yes, or even an oldie, but goodie that you recommend all the time. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, oh, what have I been reading really recently? I've actually bit bit of a bit of a cliche here. Well, not a cliche, but I think everyone <laughs> everyone in the world Beautiful. Read this book. Uh-huh. just starting Sally Rooney, Beautiful World, Where Are You? I've also been reading this wonderful nonfiction book called Heiresses, which is about kind of heiresses through history, but it's also about kind of women and women's position in society and money and women and money and you know that interesting. Is- fascinating absolutely fascinating oldie but goodie it's quite an unknown one actually it's called the wheel spins or the lady vanishes so it was named for a film by hitchcock called the lady vanishes oh, oh my god mm-hmm. it's the original girl on the train i would say yes. I mean, it's not the same yeah. story but it, but it is about a woman who goes missing on the train yeah. fact. and it is completely thrilling it was written i think in 1930 something and you think it was yes a very kind of old school and vintage for that but it's it's so page turning. It's so gripping. So I really recommend I just wrote that, that down. It is. <laughs> and I'm going to read that. Don't you love to go back into essentially your genre, but the old fashioned books, you know, before there's just, totally. I mean, of course they had, how could they possibly, but they have no concept or even imagination for the world we live in now. And so it's tactile and it's, yeah. it's granular yeah. and it's, it's like embodied and yeah. it's on the ground. I just, so I love the old timers. I love the old timers. No, I was going to say as a murder mystery writer, you know, I sometimes wish there were no such thing as kind of cell phones and reception and like yep. Google and, you know, forensic, yeah. forensic data and things. Totally. <laughs> You could wish you could like just do away with all that. Yeah, that's true. The (laughs) historical murder mystery writers got to play around with a little bit more mystery. We just continued to demystify our world bit by bit and just turning it over and naming it and identifying it. So yeah, that is so fun. Last, we're dying to know what you're working on now. I'm sure that you are. are, Because writers write, they just can't help it. You cannot help it. What you got spinning? What What do you have working on? So I have just put the finishing touches on my new book, which is called The Paris Apartment. And it's coming out in February, February 22. And Oh, yeah, uh, that's soon. It sounds like the future. It's, I think it's the 22nd of February 22. So it's like this confusing date. And oh my, I've had so much fun writing this book. So it's a murder mystery set in this beautiful old Parisian apartment where kind of all the apartments look into the central courtyard and they can sort of see into each other. And all the suspects are the different characters who live in these different apartments. And we've got even more of a sleuth figure in this one as well. And hopefully she is a character you really can root for as the reader. She's kind of our detective. She arrives, Jess, she arrives to stay with her brother and he's gone missing and she thinks something's happened. Mm. So, yeah. That sounds amazing. And I suppose you were forced to go to Paris and do a little intel. So hard. It was so hard. So hard. You're <laughs> like, where do I want to set my next book? I know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, in a way, it's my kind of love letter to a world without COVID in. You know, it's like a world in which there are kind of crowded tube metro carriages and like 
bars and people are kind of touching each other. Sounds weird, touching each other. No, it doesn't sound weird. We're starving for it. Like when I see old shows right now, by old meaning less than two years old, like or two years old or soon or back. And everyone's just in a bar or everyone's just like, on the train. I'm like, oh, the olden times. Yeah, <laughs> so nostalgic for what literally just was and wondering if we're ever going to get back there again. So we will like devour that book when it comes out in February. I can tell you on my end, I've got a whole huge book club who are fans of yours, Lucy. And we are super interested in reading everything you ever write. So just keep going, keep spinning a yarn, keep coming up with these characters that we love and hate and feel weird about and write us some murder mysteries because we're going to read them. Thank you so much. And thank you for picking the book. You're welcome. You're welcome. Last thing, will you just kind of tell everybody where they can find you if they kind of want to follow along? Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram. It's at Lucy Foley author. And I'm on Twitter at Lucy Foley tweets and on Facebook, just as Lucy Foley. (laughs) Right on. Absolutely delighted to meet you. Thank you so much for giving my book club such a fun month, such a great read, so much to talk about and noodle. Like it was just a perfect book club book. So yeah, you. So grateful. Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Have a good day.